Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We are going to be covering lesson, that's week two, but uh, for those of you, was there anybody here tonight that wasn't here last week? Lift your hand. If you're here tonight, you weren't here last week. One, two, 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 two. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of review, and um, then we'll get on to the next part. Why is it important? Why should we talk about healing and health? Why does it matter? You know, many people, um, many people have the opinion that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for only for our spiritual healing, which means the forgiveness of sins. But yet, everywhere you look, it says, Psalm 103, he forgives all your sins and what? Heals all your diseases. It's the forgiveness of sins and healing of diseases go hand in hand numerous times in scriptures, not just once or twice. It's hand in hand. Why is that? Because the same verb is used in both cases, and it's called sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's a Greek word. It's called sozo, and it means health, deliverance, peace, wholeness, healing, I mean, it, have all, it embodies all those things in one, and it's translated in the Bible as salvation sometimes. It's translated in the Bible as healing sometimes. It's translated in the Bible as deliverance sometimes. But it's the same Greek word because it means all those things, right? It's called sozo, S-O-Z-O with a little mark at the end. And that's why that it's an, it's an important part of salvation because God included it in the package of salvation. Just a little bit of natural facts, why it's important that we talk about this as it relates to our culture. Right now, according to the U.S. Department of Health, 48.7% or 157 million people in America, use prescription drugs on a daily basis. Okay, that's, that's pretty wild, isn't it? 48.7 or 157,740,000 people in America use prescription, at least one prescription drug every day. That's a lot. Of that population, 71 million use at least three prescription drugs every day. And 32 million take over five prescription drugs every single day. Sounds like we're over-medicated to me. Then you look at TV. You look at TV ads for prescription drugs. We, we kind of, I think, and if your house is like our house, uh, when the ads for prescription drugs come on, we, we kind of laugh because many times the side effects of the drugs are worse than the thing that they're curing. It says, oh, you have hair loss. Take this, it'll grow your hair. You might die, you might kill yourself, you might have an extra arm growing out of your side, but hey, you'll have hair. And surely I jest when I say about the arm thing, you know, but you know what I mean. 11% or 35 million Americans over the age of 12 take antidepressants every day. 35 million Americans. Wow. 
That is a huge issue. There's 60 million people on anti-anxiety medication of some kind that take it every day in America. 60% of America. Now, it's a huge problem. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, verse 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Somebody says, well, what causes depression? The Bible tells us pretty clear. It says, Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. It's, you have to literally, you have to try and go to school for a long time to misunderstand that verse because it's pretty clear. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Why is that? Because anxiety, anxiety wears out your emotions when you're worried all the time and you allow anxious thoughts and anxiety to get a hold of you and continue on a daily basis, day and night, day and night, after a while, what happens is your emotions, your body wears out and gets tired and then it can't produce adrenaline. It can't produce all that stuff because it's just worn out and then depression is the result because you can't, your body can't produce those endorphins which makes you feel good, right? So then we have to take a pill to make you feel good. Now, first of all, number one, I right now am on three prescription medications. So there's no condemnation. I had a heart attack about six months, five months ago. I am weaning off one by one, but I am on right now today, I took three prescription medications. So lest you think I'm condemning you, I take three myself, okay? I take a heart medication, a blood sugar medication, and a cholesterol medication right now until I'm finished losing weight and getting through some of the health issues that I've had challenges with for the last six months. So I wanted to be real open and honest and transparent so that nobody sits there and goes, oh yeah, you're throwing stones at me because I take medication. No, I'm not. That's not my purpose. I'm merely saying it's a very important topic because it affects our entire country, such a large percentage of our entire population. It's a very huge issue. In Job chapter 19, verse 6, is one of the funny verses in the Bible. You know, Job has a few funny verses. You know, whenever you're reading the Bible, you need to know a couple things. Number one, who the author is of that book, okay? And what their state of mind was when they wrote the book, especially when you're reading the book of Job. So when you look at the book of Job, you gotta remember, at this particular time, Job was feeling sorry for himself, and he was a backslidden prophet when he wrote this particular thing. You know what he said? He said, God has put a target on my back, and he is shooting his arrows at me. He says, God has wronged me. That's what Job said in Job 19.6. God has wronged me. You know what? You know, the only thing wrong about that verse is the fact that Job was wrong when he said that, God had not wronged Job. The devil tried to kill him, but God had not wronged Job. But you know, that's a lot of people's um, thought process when they look at their life. They think, well, I got the short end of this stick, didn't I? Or I really got the, I got a raw deal from God. He gave me a, a raw deal. You know what they're thinking like? They're thinking like Job when you think like that. God did not wrong anyone. God has not wronged you. He has not wronged me. He, has not, he did not wrong Job. But see, many times we can get that poor old me 
attitude, right? Anybody ever meet anybody that was poor old me? Me too. The other day, last week, in fact, last week, Thursday, my, my one son um, was filming a video and he stumbled or fell or did something and he sliced his foot open, had a big gash in his foot. So I went with him, took him some lunch while we were waiting to, for him to get stitched up at the med station on Wilson there. And while I was there, we were just sitting in the lobby for three hours, you know, waiting because it wasn't an emergency. I said, if you want to get served quickly in the emergency room, you have to grab your chest and say your arm hurts. You'll get in right away. <laughs> just kidding. That's what I did when I had a heart attack. I was in with 30 seconds, you know, I was in. But he had his bl blood running down his leg. That wasn't enough of an emergency. So he sat there for three hours. And uh, while we were sitting there, I just was minding my own business, but this guy was talking rather loudly. And this guy just complained about everything. I'm I wanted to stand up and say, dude, you're alive. Shut your mouth. Stop it. You know, but he just whining and complaining about everything. Oh, then this, and then my mom, and then blah, 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 blah. A 50-year-old guy complaining about his mother. Come on. He just whined and complained the whole time. And I was just like, oh, gosh, really? You would wear me out. But that's what Job was like. See, that's the attitude that Job had. He had a poor old me attitude. He had a victim mentality. God has wronged me, he said. See, and that produces that complaining, whiny attitude that sometimes we can get. And you know what? We can all get that if we're not careful. Me too. We can all get that if we're not careful. That poor old me whiny attitude. If things don't go right, we can get that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you tonight. There is no life in feeling sorry for yourself. When you throw a pity party, only the devil shows up, nobody else. Nobody wants to come but the devil, and all he wants to do is make you feel worse. So let's not um, have a victim mentality. Let's not adopt the theology of Job. Let's adopt the theology of the victorious born again believer, and that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that God has been good to me, that I am redeemed and I'm thankful to be alive. That's the attitude that we've got to take on this and not the other. So why is it important that we talk about healing? Because so many people are sick. And so many people, so many people, your neighbors, your family, maybe you, here's the, here's the reality. Somebody you know, somebody you love, or yourself will need healing at some time in the near future. That's just reality. Somebody you know, somebody you love, or even yourself will need the supernatural healing power of God in the near future. I'm not saying it's going to be you, but it's somebody you love or at least somebody you know will need it. So why should we educate ourselves and learn about what God says and what the Bible says about healing, because if we can help them, I think we ought to, right? I think we ought to. We ought to help them. So as we look at this, the first thing we learned last week was God is not doing this to me. So when Job says, God has wronged me, 
He didn't understand that God is not the source of our problem. God is the source of our answer. See, God is not my problem. God is my only answer that I have. So if you think that the only person capable of helping you is the one that's hurting you, you're in rough shape. But see, many parts of the world and many parts of this city, people believe that God makes people sick. And all you have to do is look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at Jesus, and ask yourself a simple question. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read about Jesus, did Jesus ever make one person sick ever in all of his earthly ministry? Somebody answer, did he? No, he never made one person sick, not one. Now, did Jesus ever heal anyone? Okay, did Jesus ever refuse to heal anyone? Jesus never refused to heal anyone. Every person that came to him, Jesus healed. That's interesting. It's not 80%, it's not 65%, it's not even 99%. There's 25 documented individuals besides the multitudes and he healed them all scriptures, okay? There's 25 specific individuals that were healed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 19 of them, of the 25, Jesus asked them, what do you want? This man sitting by the pool of Bethesda, 38 years he laid there, stinky, laying there, can't move on a thing, begging, right? He walks up to him and says, do you want to be well? Well, that's kind of a dumb question, Jesus. Pardon me, but it seems kind of obvious. You want to say, duh, right? Don't say duh to Jesus, but anyway. <laughs> but yet he said, do you want to get well? And immediately the guy, the guy starts making excuses, right? He says, well, you know, there's this angel. He starts talking about this supernatural thing. Dude, an angel came down and kind of stirred the water, right? And every, whoever jumps in the water first, they get healed. Sounds like a pretty cool deal. I'd sleep pretty close to that water. I don't know about you. I'd, pretty, I'd probably sleep in the water with my toe in the water all, every day, just in case. First one in gets it, right? I'm in. See ya. But... He starts making excuses. Well, I got nobody to help me, and I can't get there. You got the supernatural power of God stirring the water, healing people every day, right? And all he could do is make excuses. That tells you something. That guy was not right. He had, he had gotten way too comfortable with his sickness, his friend, his sickness. He was too comfortable with it because all he could do was make excuses, the supernatural power of God is right there and he's making excuses. And Jesus, you know what, how Jesus dealt with it? He didn't argue with them. He didn't condemn them. He just said, get up. The guy goes, oh, okay. He stood up and strength came into his legs and he got up. He didn't even need to go jump in the water, okay? Other people, the, the woman with the issue of blood, right? She's crawling on her hands and legs through the crowd. Jesus is walking. He's getting mobbed by all these people, right? This woman with the issue of blood. Now, she has had this issue of blood, some kind of blood disorder, for 12 years. 
right? She has spent everything that she has on doctors and only gotten worse. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she felt the healing virtue of Jesus come into her. Jesus felt healing virtue leave him and, she, and he says, who touched me? Well, dozens of people were touching him at the time, but she touched him in what? In faith. She touched him in faith, and touching him isn't what healed her. Touching him in faith is what drew the healing out of Jesus. Touching him with an expectancy to receive is what caused healing to manifest in her body. Not just touching him, because a lot of people were touching him but she touched with an expectancy to receive. And then afterwards, he said, who touched me? And she came and she fell down on his feet and she said, it was me. And he said, daughter, be made whole. And she was made whole and she, all her bleeding and everything stopped from that moment on, she was made whole. Your, and you know what he said to her? Your faith has healed you. He did not say this was a sovereign duck, duck, goose moved by God the Father. It's not what he said. He did not say this was the sovereign will of God. He did not say this is God's decision. You have nothing to do with it. You are just like dust in the wind. He did not say that. He said your faith has made you whole. Gave some personal responsibility to her for taking the action of reaching out with expectancy. The other time, the, the, how about the man with the withered hand? I'm just going based on this right now. The man with the withered hand, he was sitting there, his hand was all jacked up, right? You couldn't, you couldn't use it. He's sitting there, it's on the Sabbath, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. Now, if the TV cameras would have been there, they would have said, oh, that cruel man. He's telling that handicapped man to stretch out his arm. What a cruel person. Actually, it wasn't cruel at all. He was, giving, he was seeing if that man would obey his command. He said, stretch out your hand. And it says, as he stretched out his hand, it was made whole like the other one. As he stretched it out. Now, what if that guy would have sat back and said, when Jesus said... Stretch out your hand. If he just sat there, he goes, nice try. I can't move my hand. I thought you knew what was going on. He would have kept his withered hand. That's what would have happened. Because Jesus was looking for someone that would obey his instructions. When he said to Peter, come. When he, when he was in the boat and Peter, when he was on the water and Peter was in the boat, Peter said to him, if it's you, Jesus, bid me come. And, and Jesus says, come. Peter starts walking on the water, right? See, a miracle is nothing more than God's super on our natural, right? God's super on our natural. When Moses stretched out his rod. Anybody could have stretched out the rod over the Red Sea to split the Red Sea. But because God told him to and he was obedient, Moses did the natural, God did the supernatural and split the Red Sea, right? See, obedience, when Peter got out of the boat, Peter just did the natural. He got out of the boat. Now, it took a lot of courage because, you know, 
When you get out of the boat, you usually get wet. But he got out of the boat and his action was natural. Anybody can, if you have good legs and can walk, you can take a step. But Jesus caused the water to uphold him. That was the super part of Peter's natural. So we know that God's not making us sick. God does not have a target on your back. God has not wronged you. God has not wronged me. Job was wrong, okay, when he said that. Job was wrong. The next thing we've got to realize is our current situation is not God's will for me. God's will for me is to be well. It is God's will for me to be well. That is a position that you've, if you're gonna really get into the position of believing God for something that goes beyond the natural, you're gonna have to accept the fact from the biblical perspective that God wants you to be well. God wants you to be well. God gave you an immune system. If he didn't want you to be well, why'd he give you an immune system to keep you well? Just saying, right? You have an immune system, if you didn't have an immune system, you'd be dead by next month this time, usually. It's called acquired immune deficiency syndrome, right? It's a very evil, bad thing, and uh, when you don't have an immune system, that's what happens. You do not stay on the earth forever. You die. That's what happens if you don't have an immune system, unless God heals your immune system. So God wants you well. God wants you to be well. What's the scripture for that? 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Again, you have to go to school for a long time to misunderstand that one. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health. Be in health even as your soul prospers. Prosper and be in health. That's God's will for us. What causes, your, what causes your soul to prosper? Because he said he wants you to be healthy and prosperous even as your soul prospers. So how does our soul prosper? Well, our soul prospers by putting God's word into our heart and our mind, through our eyes and through our ears. That's one of the ways that our soul prospers is by receiving the bread of life, which is God's word. You know, when you spend time reading and listening to God's word, do you know what happens? It feeds your spirit and it causes your mind to be renewed and your, your soul will prosper. See, how about the disciples? When they were on the earth, I love this particular verse. Peter and, Peter and, and the, the boys, they were the fishermen, right? They were unlearned people, which means they weren't highly respected among the, the, the lawyers and the teachers of the law. And yet, I love this particular scripture. It says, and it was noted that they had been with Jesus. It was obvious that they had spent time with Jesus by their attitude, by their actions, and by the results People could tell that they had been with Jesus. Now that's an interesting thought. Project that out to the word of God. If you will just put the word of God in your heart on a daily basis, I mean something as simple as take the New Testament, okay? 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, right on through. You can read 10 chapters of the New Testament a day in about 25 to 30 minutes if you read relatively fast. But however long it takes, you could read 10 chapters a day and you will read the New Testament through in about 30 days. You know what will happen to you if you read the New Testament through every 30 days for six months? You know what's going to happen? People are going to take notice that you have been with Jesus. It will become obvious. You will change. Your mind will begin to change. You will begin to change. What, what, did, what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how he, one of the ways he defeated the devil in the wilderness, with the word of God. See, the word of God is active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's able to discern between the thoughts and the intents of man, and able to even separate the soul and the spirit. See, the word of God is the way that you cause your soul to prosper. Put the word in. You say, well, I don't think I'm getting anything out of it. Just do it anyway. Do it by faith for 30 days. And you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna see so much change, other people are gonna see change, and you're gonna go, wow, I'm gonna keep doing this. Because then you're gonna, it's kind of like when, when, what happened to me when, when, when I had uh, my heart issue back in December, I had to start walking by faith. They did open heart surgery on me and I was cut from here to here and it was miserable. Trust me, it was no fun. Don't ever do it, um, unless you have to. It's better than dying. So that was my other choice, either die or have the surgery. So I said, I'll take the surgery. But it was no fun. And six hours after surgery, they had me up walking around. I mean, walking, I had tubes coming out of my chest. I had like nine tubes. I had everything. The thing stuck right through my skin, right into my heart, a copper tube or copper wire. And I was, I was a mess. Oxygen, I'd look like death warmed over. I was death warmed over. But anyway, um, I had to walk by faith because, man, it hurt. I felt miserable. For two weeks, I felt so miserable. I just like, are you sure I don't want to die? You know, I felt that bad for a long time. Um, so I had to walk, and every day, come on, time to get up, time to walk, I'd go, ugh, okay. So we'd start to walk, and I'd start doing laps around the seventh floor of the Meyer Heart Center, doing laps. And they give you those god-awful gowns designed, designed by Seymour Butts, right? <laughs> and, God, it's disgusting. But anyway, doing laps, and I had to do lap after lap, six laps a day. I had to go around that whole floor. I'm like, I'm walking. She tried to have me use a walker. And I said, I ain't using no walker. She goes, you better not fall. I said, you better catch me. Let's go. I would not use a walker. I said, walkers are for old people. I wouldn't use a walker. I was kind of ornery. They called me an ornery patient after a while. I said, that's right. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get out of here. You're going to kick me out. But the point is this, you have to walk by faith. So the first few days you read, you're gonna go, yeah, okay, I know all this. Just keep reading. And you're gonna go a couple more days and you're gonna go, and then you're gonna miss a day and you're gonna feel condemned and you're gonna say, well, now I have to read 20 chapters. Oh, no, you don't. Here, here's the rule. You are released. If you miss a day, you just tack it on to the end. Don't worry about it. 
Because you know what? If you start saying to yourself, well, now I gotta read 20 chapters because I missed a day, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna quit. You will quit. So you are hereby, if I had holy water, I'd sprinkle you, okay? <laughs> you are hereby released from condemnation. You are hereby released from skipping days. And if you miss a day, then you miss a day and you never have to make it up. There, you are exonerated, okay? But just do it when you can and don't receive any condemnation if you miss a day, but just pick up where you left off. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you and say, oh, because you missed a day, God's mad at you. That is the dumbest thing ever. God is not mad at you. God is so thrilled that you read yesterday that he can't even hardly contain himself. And you missed a day, so he goes, okay, start tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. So if you screwed up yesterday, so what? Start over. You get a redo every single day. Now that's a beautiful thing. Think about it. You get a redo every day. So you screwed up yesterday. Oh well, God forgive me. Pick up, it's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Do not let the devil try to talk you into being condemned and oh, I gotta do this and oh, it's so hard. No, it's not hard, just read. It's not hard, it's easy. Okay, just do it. Praise is the water. You need food and water. So the water is the word, praise, and the presence of God is water for your soul. What does it say? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What is that? That's praise. What we did tonight, but even more. You, you don't have to have a guy with that great of a voice leading you to, uh, to do it. You just pop in an MP3, your phone, your own voice. Don't matter if you're on key, God loves it anyway. He loves a joyful noise. He doesn't have to be even on key noise. Just, just sing, okay? Just worship him. It's the attitude of your heart, not the pitch of your voice. So sing, express praise and thanksgiving to God. It says you enter his courts with what? Praise. With thanksgiving in your heart, you enter his courts with praise. You enter the presence of God with thanksgiving and with praise. So the word of God is your food, Praise is your water. You need food and water. It's all you need to exist is food and water. You're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Don't ever misunderstand the fact that this thing, flesh and blood that we have here, this is not you. This is merely your earth suit. It's merely the suit you need to keep while you're here. It's going to turn into dust eventually or it's gonna be renewed and transformed at the last trumpet if we happen to be so fortunate as to be here when that trumpet sounds, okay? But the bottom line, this is not you, but this, is, this thing is required for you to be effective and living on the earth. So if you're going to fulfill God's destiny on the earth, you gotta keep this thing healthy. You gotta watch this thing and not do foolish things with this body. Even though this isn't you, you still have to keep it healthy, right? Now, what happened with me is I was dumb in the way that I lived, okay? That's just reality. I ate the wrong foods, didn't exercise enough, and I have a genetic predisposition toward heart disease and diabetes. I didn't take it seriously enough, and I had a heart attack, and I got diabetes. So what happened? I repented. 
And repentance means not only God forgive me, but also I changed my diet. I exercise every day. I'm starting to run as my lungs begin to rehab. I can actually run, I ran this morning. Um, I, I, I ran yesterday, I ran the day before that. I didn't run on Sunday, but I, you know, I run at least five days a week. Now I don't run far. But I changed because repentance is not just God, I'm sorry. Repentance is changing, turning away from. I don't eat, God forgive me, Jets pizza anymore. Okay? Even though you might like Jets pizza and one piece is fine, but only one, not five. Okay? I don't even eat one because I like it too much. And I'd eat five if I ate one, probably. So I don't eat it at all. Okay? We don't eat that stuff anymore. Why? Because I don't want to die. I want to fulfill God's destiny for me on the earth. Okay? And to do that, you got to be healthy. You can't be dead and fulfill God's destiny. You got to be alive. So you got to keep the, keep the body alive. So this body, although it's important, it's not your identity so it's not about the size of your waist or the, the size of your biceps or any other th part of your body. That's not who you are. But to be healthy is important. To have health is important. That you may prosper in all things, it says in 3 John. That you would prosper in all things. So your soul, your soul prospers with the word of God and with praise, food and water. So it's the same way your spirit prospers, your spirit and your soul. But the other way that your soul, your mind prospers is by casting down vain imaginations. 2 Corinthians 10, three to five. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, right? Taking every thought captive bringing it into obedience unto Christ. See, many times what happens is that we get crazy thoughts. And if you, you can have all kinds of crazy thoughts. Thoughts come, thoughts go. Thoughts can come from the enemy, thoughts can come from yourself, or thoughts can come from other people, or thoughts can come from God. But that's not the issue. The issue is bringing your thoughts into obedience unto Christ. If you don't take your thought life seriously, if you don't take control of your thought life, you will not prosper in your soul. It is a deal killer. If you just meditate on all negative stuff all the time, you are not gonna be a happy person. If you allow any old lustful thought that comes across your television or comes across your mind, if you allow that thought to take root, in your mind, you are not gonna prosper in your soul because you're gonna have lust problems in your mind. If you have hateful thoughts or envious thoughts that come through, ooh, I hate that person. Well, you need to say, no, I love that person. I cast that thing down. I don't hate anyone because the love of God constrains me that the love of God is in me and I love my brother. I don't hate him. See, and, but yet in our flesh or in, a, in the natural, we might have an offense towards someone, but that's where we need to take every thought captive and bring it unto obedience unto Christ. You may have a thought, nothing ever works for me. That's a bad thought. 
Cast that thought down. That is not a good thought. Do not entertain that thought. Sometimes you might, somebody might say, well, this is, well, we're really hopeful. This is gonna, this is gonna happen for us. And you might have a preconditioned response. Oh, that would never happen for me. That thing, I call that Eeyore. Anybody know who Eeyore is? Eeyore, oh, I'm just a donkey. Eeyore needs to get his, uh, his attitude adjusted, okay? Eeyore is negative, and Eeyore's never gonna be prosperous as long as he keeps talking like that and thinking like that. See, we've gotta cast down those negative, negative, defeatist thoughts that come. We can't, we can't entertain them. That cannot be our, our identity or our soul will not prosper. And if our soul doesn't prosper, you know what happens then? Your body doesn't prosper either, okay? Because eventually you open the door for the enemy and then bad things happen the rest of the way. So we've gotta, you've gotta realize that you're a spirit, you, li- you have a soul and you live in a body. Your body's health is really what we're talking about here, but they're all interconnected. They're all interconnected. Your spiritual life, your soulish life, and your body life are all interconnected. And you can't have a healthy body life without a healthy soul life and a healthy spirit life. You're a three-part being and it's not separate. Somebody says, oh, that's just business. No, if you're dishonest in business, you're dishonest. You cannot be dishonest in one area and honest in another because you're, if you're dishonest, then you're dishonest, okay? It's gotta be all or nothing. It's not one in this, it's not, oh, that's just different because, well, that's just different. No, it's not different, okay? A little bit of, my dad always said this. He's in heaven now, but I can, he could still preach through me. He always said that. Son, a half truth is a whole lie. Any way you slice it. That's what he <laughs> Good old Dutch saying, a half truth is a whole lie any way you slice it. Okay, sir, yes, sir, no half truths, okay? But that's the truth. Is you, it's either the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, or it's not the truth. There's no such thing as can you define the truth. That's what the whole world is looking for. The whole world is looking for truth. They're looking for truth, even when... Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what Pilate did? Pilate said, what is truth? I'm like, duh, he's standing right in front of you, right? And that's the tr- that is true today also. People are still looking for truth. They don't know what truth is. That's a rabbit trail. So we're gonna go on. How do we prosper? We just talked about that. Philippians 4. If you wanna prosper, Philippians chapter 4. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest and of a good report, think on these things. Think on those things. Don't think on whatsoever things are horrible and bad news and everything else. Think on whatsoever things are good and pure and lovely and true. Think on those things. And it says, and then the peace that surpasses all human understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he also says right in the middle there, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God. 
And then the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, don't be anxious. Anxiety does not have to rule your life. If you think on whatsoever things are good, pure, lovely, true, honest and of a good report, and cast your anxieties upon the Lord, the peace of God can keep your heart and your mind. And what is your heart and your mind? That's your soul. He'll keep your soul in peace so you're not tormented by anxiety. Jesus is the expression of the Father. So if you look at Jesus, if you look at Jesus, what he did, how he reacted to sickness, that is the Father's attitude towards sickness. In the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter four, verse 20, Proverbs chapter four, verse 20, it says, it's real clear, this, I want you to remember this one, we're gonna take some time on Proverbs chapter four, here it is. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. That word incline, this means to cup your hand around your ear and like strain Go like this and really pay attention. Make sure you don't have any distractions. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, what is they there? Anybody? They is God's words, right? It says, my son, give attention to my words for they, God's word, are life, zoe, to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Their life and their health. The cool thing there, the word health, is Strong's number 4832, if you want to look it up. It's the word marpe. And it means curative medicine or remedy. So God's word when you, when you read God's word and meditate on God's word, it literally says that God's word is a curative medicine and a remedy to all your flesh. Wow. That's worth the price of admission right there. God's word is medicine. It's a curative remedy. God's word is health. It's a remedy. It brings health in our bodies. So we speak God's word. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we speak God's word, because faith comes by hearing. See, when that woman was walking, crawling through the crowd, and she saw Jesus, it's important to know what had happened and why she was there. This is Mark chapter 5. It says, Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, and a great multitude had gathered. He was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers named Jairus, this was Jairus and his daughter was sick, so Jairus and, and Jesus were going back to Jairus' house. And it says, Jesus was with him, and a great multitude followed him, and they thronged him. This is Mark 5, starting with verse 25 here. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years she had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard, she heard about Jesus. She heard. Now faith comes by hearing, and she had heard 
So she had received good news, so she had heard about Jesus, so she had an earnest expectation about Jesus, right? So she had built her faith toward Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment, and she said, if only I can touch his clothes, I will be made well. So here's what she did. She heard, she said, and she acted. All three. She heard, she said, she acted. She heard about Jesus. She said, she declared something. If I could just touch him, I could be made well. What was that touch? That touch was a release point for her faith. So when she touched him, put up your hand. So when she touched him, boom, that was where she released her faith. She said, if I can just touch him, then I'll be made well. Verse 29, after she released her faith, she touched him. Immediately the fountain of her blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed. And immediately Jesus, knowing power had gone out from him, that's healing virtue, he said, who touched me? His disciples said, hey, you're, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about, Jesus? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, and the woman came fearing and trembling. She fell down and told him the truth, and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, the, the cool thing there, daughter, your faith has made you well. That word well in the Greek there, it's a, this is the New Testament's written in Greek. The word there is sozo. Your faith has made you whole, well, he, healed, cured, sozoed. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. Now, when this woman touched Jesus, she released her faith. She heard about it. She heard about it. She said something about it, and then she acted on her faith. See, faith begins where the will of God is known. If you are not fully convinced that it's God's will for you to be well, it's gonna be difficult for you to get well, supernaturally. Now, granted, our bodies have a natural healing mechanism built within them. You cut your hand, it heals back over. That's an amazing thing in and of itself. It's amazing. And most, sometimes there's not even a scar there, right? It's an amazing thing. So you'll get better. It's just you won't get better as quickly or if you can't, or if the doctors are in the natural, you can't get better. You're gonna have a hard time getting better unless you understand it's God's will for you to be well because faith begins where the will of God is known. How do you know the will of God? The word of God is the will of God. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen the will of God. We started off by saying Jesus never made anybody sick. He only healed those that came to him and he never turned anyone away. So given all that, is it fair to say it's God's will for you to be well? It's God's will for you to be well. You have all these reasons. You have an immune system that God designed you with. You have God's word that says, hey, my word is health, cure, medicine to all your flesh, right? 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and you look at the will here, and the will of God is clear through Jesus, Jesus' actions, Jesus' words. What happened? He healed. It's the only thing he ever did. He only went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the evil one, for God was with him. See, that's Jesus. So if you want to know, Jesus said in John chapter 9, actually 14, 9, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do the things I see my Father do. I only say the things I hear my Father say, for I have come to do the will of him who sent me. That's what Jesus said. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and we trust that the Bible is true, we know based on the Bible that it's God's will for you to be well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. That's clear in the scripture. Father, we thank you for your absolute truth. Father, that each one of us today, that your word brings health. Your word is medicine. Your word is the cure. Father, we thank you that your word washes our minds that your word is our food for our spirit. And Father, praise is the water. Father, we just, we just ask you to etch these things in our hearts. And Father, as we leave this place with a renewed commitment for your word every day, a renewed commitment to stand on your word and to resist the enemy and he will flee. Father, a renewed commitment to act on your word, not only to hear, but to say and to act like the woman in the Mark chapter five. Father, thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.